Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly, and today I am going to be recording this episode by myself. Um, I want to start this episode off with a warning because it will contain graphic details and it does involve the death of a baby. So please, your discretion is advised. That is one of the reasons Austin did not want to be on this episode. I don't blame him. He's also out of town. And I also wanted to take a moment to just address some of the things that I've been seeing in just a few of the reviews. So first of all, thank you so much to those of you who have left us reviews. I read every single one of them. I was blown away. I woke up one day to 27 new reviews and I was stunned. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much to those of you who left um, positive reviews. There were just a couple sprinkled in that were negative specifically to a comment that Austin made in one of our episodes on Casey Anthony. I can't remember exactly which one, but we were having a discussion about how women tend to be more emotional than men. And naturally, this upset a few of our listeners, and they let me know in the reviews. And I I just want to acknowledge that Austin and I talked about this, and I want to explain where he's coming from, because Austin, I know him better than anybody, anybody in the world. And I know that when he says things like this, he's not coming from a bad place. He just doesn't always choose his words wisely, <laughs> And a lot of you love him for that because some of the stuff he says is so off the wall. But then there's a couple of you that don't understand where he's coming from or don't give him maybe the grace that he kind of deserves. What I think he meant, and we talked about this and he agreed, that in general, women tend to be more compassionate than men. That is not to say that men aren't compassionate. And that's not to say men don't ever get emotional. Because I made the point to him that, you know, a lot of times men are the more irrational species. They're the ones who start wars. They're usually the ones behind mass shootings and, you know, things of that nature. So, <clears throat> Ultimately, though, that wasn't the point of our conversation. Our point was discussing more about the emotional, compassionate nature of women. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of clear that up because I think it's fair to say, and I agree, that women tend to be more compassionate than men. And I I truly think that's really where he was coming from. And compassion involves emotions. I know a lot of you are like, Kelly... This is not even a big deal. Like we understand where he was coming from. Um, But I just wanted to clear that up and put that out there. So on with today's story. Today we are talking about Taylor Parker. So this wild story is coming to you on the heels of a series we just did about a compulsive and convicted liar named Casey Anthony. But if you can believe it, I believe this case is even more heinous. From lying about a hefty inheritance to faking an entire pregnancy, 
This story is about a girl named Taylor Parker who was so desperate to create a life that she could be proud of. She didn't care who she hurt, manipulated, or killed along the way to make her lies a reality. So Taylor Parker was born on December 8th of 1992. She grew up in a tiny Texas town called Sims. And unfortunately, I can't find a single article with anything good to say about Taylor. People who recall coming into contact with Taylor remember her as someone who was a manipulative, attention-seeking, and prolific liar, that her lies were seemingly motivated by the desire to get attention or sympathy from people. She would lie about having multiple sclerosis and cancer, She'd lie about having sex with boyfriends that she made up. And she even lied about being pregnant with a boyfriend. Multiple times, she saved a picture of a pregnant person she knew, cropped that person's head out of the picture, and tried to pass it off as her own. But then she actually did become pregnant when she was about 18 years old and had a baby girl she named Emerson. And in 2011, Taylor meets Tommy Wakasey. They dated for a short period of time before getting married within just a few months. And at this point, Emerson wasn't even a year old yet. So they get married in 2011, and then Taylor gets pregnant, and they have a little boy in 2013. The following year, 2014, Taylor has a tubal ligation done. And that August, she went to Tijuana, Mexico with her aunt to have gastric bypass. Now, I don't know how true this is, but Tommy said she ended up having a partial hysterectomy with this gastric surgery because apparently they discovered she had an ovarian cyst. Listen, I know, it doesn't make sense. I'm not a doctor, but even this story just seems unbelievable to me, as I'm sure it does to you too. I will say though, however, that a doctor did testify during her ultimate trial, claiming that he did in fact perform a tubal ligation on Taylor after she admitted that she did not want any more children. We just don't know for sure about the story of the hysterectomy and if or how exactly she got one. But Tommy has said that her lies were so convincing and manipulative, and he has said, quote, looking back now, if I had known then what I know now, it would have never happened. It's like our whole marriage was a lie. You would confront her about it, it would turn into another lie, end quote. But eventually, Tommy saw clearly that he was dealing with a compulsive liar, and he filed for divorce. He was also awarded full custody of their son, and Taylor was ordered to pay child support in the amount of $225 per month. She never made a single payment. Then Taylor meets and marries a guy named Hunter Parker, but that didn't last long because Hunter wanted kids, and Taylor told him and her close friends at that time that she couldn't have kids because her uterus was eaten up with cancer and ultimately had to be removed. But she didn't tell him this until after they were married. So she asked her friends, Mackenzie and Abby, if either of them would be willing to be a surrogate for her for $100,000. When Mackenzie became pregnant on her own, not for Taylor, Taylor was still really interested and excited about her pregnancy because she was having a little girl. But when Abby became pregnant with a little boy, Taylor didn't seem interested in her pregnancy at all. Eventually, Hunter and Taylor split up in April of 2019, 
And Mackenzie, Abby, and Taylor were no longer friends by then either. Desperate to be with a man, Taylor quickly moves on to a guy named Wade Griffin just a few weeks after her divorce from Hunter is finalized. They met at a rodeo where Wade was really in his element as he grew up as just a good old country boy. Wade was working for a roofing company, but also did side jobs like welding, hog trapping, and managing livestock. Taylor reeled him in pretty quickly, catering to his every desire. She cooked meals for him, took care of his house, helped him take care of livestock, helped him with his finances, and just really absorbed the role of a super doting girlfriend. She made multiple mentions of coming from money, but Wade didn't really pry into that because he didn't feel like it was his business and it really wasn't important to him. But she made sure that he was aware that she came from big time oil and gas money. She told him that her grandmother had created an account where they would be putting the royalties from oil and gas and she was going to have access to that account soon. She also told him that they owned hundreds of acres of land and would pay Wade upwards of $50,000 to do some work on the land, clearing out old brush to restore it to its old glory days. Wade even hired a guy named Juan to help him, and Juan was excited because he had four kids at home and was grateful to have the work. So she paid him his first check before she said her mom found out and shut the job down because she didn't want money being spent out of that account. So from then on, Wade had to pay Juan himself with the promise that she would pay him back. This also kind of segued Taylor's story into how her and her mom do not get along that her mom would regularly harass and threaten her, and even had a person by the name of Mandy Boyd, or Body, I've seen it pronounced or spelled both ways, sending her threatening emails and texts. She even claimed her own mom, Shauna, went as far as to put a hit out on her, her own daughter, and that her mom was involved in a shootout of some kind with a Mexican mafia, but it was suppressed on the news And she ultimately hung herself after she was taken into custody. Like, what did I just say? That was just insane, what I just said. Like, I can't even wrap my head around how somebody comes up with a story like that, but also how somebody believes it. But now, this story of Shauna's untimely passing allowed Taylor to access this big inheritance. And Taylor also used it as a sympathy pull to get Wade to allow her to move in with him. She said she wanted to buy some land for Wade and her and her 10-year-old daughter. In August of 2019, Taylor told Wade she was pregnant, and she'd been to the doctor already who confirmed she was having twins. Wade, of course, had no idea that Taylor had a hysterectomy or tubal ligation or anything like that and couldn't become pregnant. But then one day, Wade gets a text from Taylor's dad, Mark, Mark told Wade he was in a wreck and his bush hog was totaled. While getting the equipment towed, Taylor was helping a friend, a family friend named Jace, and a winch snapped, slinging a towing cable into Taylor's stomach, which I'm guessing she claimed caused a miscarriage. It's hard to keep it all straight because the lies are really confusing and she tells different people different things. But by February of the next year, she claimed she was pregnant again and told Wade and his family that her due date would be September 22nd of 2020. 
His family at this point were all very skeptical of Taylor. His mom, Connie, his sister, and a lot of his friends all could tell that Wade wasn't really into Taylor, but suspected that she was claiming she was pregnant to just keep him around. And with good reason, because behind the scenes, Taylor was searching on fakeababy.com for a fake pregnancy belly, a fake customized ultrasound photo complete with custom gestation, the gender of the baby, and a clinic name and physician, which, by the way, who the hell is creating websites like this? In a desperate attempt to win over Wade's family, Taylor buys his mom, Connie, her dream car, a brand new Nissan Altima that she has been searching for forever. According to an article from KTAL News, she also convinced Wade to buy a brand new $29,000 side-by-side ATV, a $92,000 heavy-duty pickup for himself, and about 20 head of cattle for $21,000, all of which he financed with the promise from Taylor that she'd soon be cashing in on this inheritance and she would just pay it all off for him. Just a few weeks after getting Connie the new car, Taylor calls her to ask her to drop the car off in the driveway because she has to take it to the dealership. Apparently there was a recall on the car and the dealership was going to fix it. But Connie knew she was not getting the car back. She called the dealership to ask about it, and they told her there was no recall, but they did need the car back because it was never paid for. And I know what you're probably thinking, how could Wade have fallen for this? But you have to remember, Wade was a pretty simple guy at the time. He was working for a roofing company and doing these side jobs, and when he met Taylor, she seemed too good to be true, and she was but she was very convincing. She lied like the truth was her second language. And Wade did tell her after soon after purchasing these big ticket items that he felt like he was way in over his head with all this debt and he was beginning to lose faith that the money was ever going to come. He said, quote, I had been telling her we are not financially able to keep everything we had done bought. It was ripping my bank account. None of the money was coming through, and she knew I was getting pretty depressed over it, end quote. But Wade starts getting texts from Taylor's aunt, Katie Joe. Katie told Wade that they were going to start splitting up the land inheritance and that she'd be willing to siphon off extra land for Taylor and Wade so he could run his cows on it. So this sparked a little bit of hope back into Wade that maybe his patience was going to pay off and maybe Taylor was telling the truth. Around this time, Taylor reconnects with a girl named Reagan Hancock. Reagan hired Taylor to take her engagement pictures with her fiance, Homer. And then a few months after that, Taylor also took photos for Reagan at Reagan and Homer's wedding. Then Reagan became pregnant with a baby girl So Taylor reaches out to Reagan and they start bonding over their respective pregnancies. In March, Taylor has her gender reveal party where they brought a female cow, a baby female cow, out with a big pink bow around its neck to announce that their baby was a girl. She posted a picture of the cow on her Instagram. Wade's mom, his boss Roger, and his wife Angela Pate were there. Taylor's dad Mark was there. Taylor's daughter was there. Wade loved the name Clancy Gale for a girl, so that is what they chose for her. 
And during a weekend visit with her son, Taylor tells him that she's expecting a baby and he's going to be a big brother. So her son goes home and tells his daddy, who is confused, knowing Taylor has had a hysterectomy and cannot get pregnant. But their little boy is persistent. Mommy said she's having a baby. So Tommy looks into this more, finds out Taylor is in fact telling people she's pregnant, and he goes out of his way to text Wade from an anonymous number, warning him that Taylor can't get pregnant, there's no way, and that she's been known to be a compulsive liar. Wade shows Taylor these texts, and she claims it's just somebody trying to ruin her life, probably someone from her mom's side of the family. Wade and Taylor powered on, and they stumbled across a piece of land called Pecan Point. Pecan Point was this beautiful hunting property. It was listed for $4.7 million. It was nestled along the Red River in McCurtain County, Oklahoma. It was 1,725 acres of land for cattle, pecan production, and duck, deer, turkey, hog, and dove hunting. Rusty Lowe was the realtor for this property, and he'd been in real estate for over 20 years. So when Taylor reached out to Rusty, showing interest in the property, she assured him she could afford it because she was the heir to the Blackburn syrup fortune. At that time, she made no mention of her oil and gas inheritance. Taylor told Rusty she was prepared to offer $3.5 million with $200,000 down in earnest money. Wade was ecstatic about the potential to get this property. It was right up his alley. It was beautiful. They were so excited. They told their family about their plans to buy this property with little cards with little pecans stuck on the front of them. Then they found some additional properties they wanted to add to their purchase, bringing their grand total to $20 million in real estate that they wanted to purchase through Rusty Lowe. But naturally, when it came time to actually provide the proof of funds for this property or these properties, things started to unravel. Taylor said she was going to get a $7 million wire transfer coming from the Blackburn Syrup inheritance. She was supposed to use that money to verify the funds needed for the purchase, but that money never came in. So then she pivots and she tells Rusty she's going to get money from her oil and gas inheritance, but that money never showed up either. She couldn't verify even having the funds anywhere, which obviously poses a huge problem. So she tells Rusty, the realtor, that she's going to have her Uncle Butch pay for the properties, and then she'll just pay him back. But no worries. In the meantime, she's going to write realtor Rusty two separate checks for $150 or $150,000, and she hands the checks over. Later that same day, She calls Rusty to ask for the checks back because she said her bank advised her that they preferred she wire the funds instead. But of course, that money never came through either. Taylor and Wade weren't ready to give up just yet, but because this purchase they were trying to make was so big, they had to provide some proof that they actually had this inheritance. So she brings up this lease paperwork that's allegedly from her oil and gas inheritance. Rusty accepts this paperwork and has another specialist in land ownership look it over, and they both quickly realize these are falsified documents. So Rusty takes a closer look at the correspondence from Taylor's emails. 
in the emails, Taylor was trying to verify that she had the funds for the wire transfer with a representative from Shell Western Global named Shelly Links. Shelly was supposed to verify that Taylor had the funds in the first place. But when they emailed her, her email address was shellylinks.westernglobal at aol.com. Huge red flag that an email from someone working for a global energy company would be using their AOL email address. So Rusty is starting to feel like this whole ordeal just sounds way too fishy. But in an effort to fully vet the authenticity of Taylor's claims, he also tries contacting other names in the banking correspondence and even her uncle Butch. When Taylor found out about this, she sent Rusty a text message saying, quote, After talking to my dad and attorney whom have bought land for more than this, it was stated to me the seller can ask, but you don't have to ask them to verify what we have in the bank. Wade and myself both weren't okay with him calling for all that. My Uncle Butch is a multi-million dollar landowner, and he says he has asked and been denied. End quote. Shortly after getting that text, Rusty also gets an email from this Shelly Links AOL person saying, quote, banking information is completely confidential. The buyers were not under the assumption a verification letter was required until you requested it in your office. I am sending this verification form since I will be providing funds. Funds and where they come from is not of importance as long as the seller is paid from my understanding. The clients are not okay with the seller calling their bank and are firm on, firm on their decision in the, that matter, end quote. So Rusty knew it wasn't necessarily required, but with all the red flags Taylor was presenting, he felt reasonable to do this, to do his due diligence. But it all fell apart in April when Taylor texted Rusty saying it was all a lie. But she wasn't the liar. Her mom was. She said her mom was the one who made it all up. The fortune, the inheritances, the emails from Shelly. She said it was all her mom. She had even faked emails from a fake attorney she named, get this, Blake Lawington, L-A-W. Ington. <laughs> like, clever, Taylor. And if you're wondering, wait, I thought her mom was dead. Trust me, I had the same thoughts too. Turns out, Taylor told Wade's boss's wife, Angela, that her mom showed up alive at a Christmas dinner one year at her aunt's house, and everyone was shocked. And shortly after that, Angela got an email from Taylor's supposed mom that read, quote, Listen, you know nothing about Taylor. Don't try to be a mother figure to her. I did an amazing job making her look bad. It took time and accurately planning my every step of the way. She brought you to the bank and made herself look like she was lying to get a check cashed. I had already arranged everything. My helper knew she was coming with you because she called making sure... You wasted your time on her because that check was never good. Let her fail in life. Let her see what it's like to have nothing. I've worked it out perfectly. I've arranged this all so there are cracks, you see. Things won't add up and she will look even more like a liar. I stole numbers to make her think people were calling and doing things for her and it was never them. This will not end well for her. No matter where she turns or what she says, there will be like a fallback on her. 
See, I am going to send her in such a deep depression. She will probably try to kill herself like she has tried before. But if not, then making Wade leave will do the trick. See, he will have no choice but to leave because nothing will be true. I've made his family turn on them from pretending to be people like a dealership that didn't get paid. Does it click now to you people? Just let her fall into a hole and knock it out. She will go crazy thinking she did the right thing for a certain reason, but in reality, I made her think that way. She has a way of wanting to protect everyone. Well, that's what's got her into this mess. If you want to be your mom, good luck. She is like the child we should have terminated in the beginning because she was the accident I didn't want. Maybe you will get the picture and enjoy the mess. She kings for someone to love her. And when Wade leaves because I've made her out to be a liar, well, she'll come running to you. Just watch. Nice website and Facebook. Maybe you can pop some sense into her because she has none. End quote. Ugh, gave me a headache just reading it. On April 9th of 2020... Taylor sends Angela an email asking Angela to print off the attached pregnancy verification letter. And this letter, this verification letter, apparently had her due date of September 22nd on it. But Angela notices that the name of the nurse who supposedly wrote the letter matches the name of the patient on the letter. So when Angela pointed this out to Taylor, Taylor got upset, claiming it was probably a mole at the clinic hired by her mom to make people question if she was pregnant. And you have to remember, this is all during the height of COVID, and there were a lot of restrictions in place about extra people coming to doctor's appointments. So Taylor told Wade he wasn't allowed at any of the, do the doctor's appointments, and that's an unfortunate truth that she used to corroborate her lies. I know a lot of people who weren't allowed to bring their loved ones in with them, even if it was their husband, to these pregnancy appointments. But Angela at this point is questioning Taylor just like everyone else is. She has her doubts. So on the same day Taylor sent her that pregnancy verification, Angela tells Taylor to go to the clinic with her and just have them run a pregnancy test. So they go to Health Express in Mount Pleasant and Taylor goes back into a room by herself to meet with a doctor while Angela waits in the waiting room. When Taylor comes out, she's holding a piece of paper with lab results stapled to it. The piece of paper was another letter similar to the one she asked Angela to print out, and it indicated a positive result and a due date of September 22nd. But Angela watched Taylor walk in with only her wallet in her hand, and the paper was not folded. So how did she get this letter? I can only speculate at this point, but I have to wonder if during the time when she was in the room alone, by herself, there was no nurse or tech or anybody in there, that maybe she got onto their computer, maybe it was left open where she could just like hop on the internet and print something from her email. But I mean, a lot of computers have a log on to even access their desktop. So I don't even, I do not know. But later during her trial, the urine test that was performed that day was presented to the jury showing she was not pregnant. But to this day, it is still a mystery how she was able to get that printed letter from inside the office. So July 2nd, Taylor posted that she was needing prayers for Clancy Gale and herself as she had had lots of doctor's appointments and scans that day. And there were some people who obviously knew there was no way Taylor could be pregnant. 
but some would get on and comment with questions about her pregnancy in an attempt to call her out. Her ultrasound showed that her doctor was Dr. Mason, so people who worked in that clinic were made aware of her posts because Taylor actually used to work there in 2014. So some employees at the office were talking about her bizarre pregnancy, and they actually called the local hospital to warn them so they could keep the babies there safe. Dr. Mason testified, quote, there was no indication that a crime was going to be committed. We just wanted to make sure our babies were going to be safe in our hospital, end quote. So on August 26th, Taylor took maternity pictures with Wade and posted them all over social media with her fake belly from fakeababy.com under a pretty dress, and she's photographed with horses and the whole thing. I'll put it on our Instagram if you want to look at these pictures. On September 22nd, it's Taylor's due date, and a hog rancher in Winnewood, Oklahoma testified that someone named Taylor Griffin, which by the way, they are not married. So she's calling herself Taylor Griffin and she's calling to arrange the sale of a trailer full of hogs for just over $6,000. And the rancher was concerned that it was a scam because she didn't understand licensing or interstate transfer rules. So he declined. And then she texted him five days later, claiming she had it all arranged But again, he refused. He was not interested in the sale. Then on September 30th, employees at a clinic in Paris, Texas, testified that Taylor came in for a pre-scheduled sonogram, but as she was waiting in the waiting room, Taylor began hysterically crying and telling employees there that she wanted to reschedule because her husband was in the military and had died and that her mother had canceled on her. She made such a scene in the waiting room that the doctor came out and tried to console her. They offered her a free ultrasound so that she could see her baby, but she declined, which they thought was odd because most moms would just jump at the opportunity to see their baby on an ultrasound. So after she left, they later saw her sitting on a bench in the parking lot watching all the pregnant women enter and exit the clinic. And police later testified that while she was sitting there, she was looking up the license plates of the expectant mothers that were entering the clinic that day. She was literally hunting for a pregnant victim. She was even attending support groups for teenage mothers in the area, I assume because she was looking for a potential victim there too. Online, Taylor was also searching and viewing multiple videos about vaginal births and C-sections, including how to perform a C-section and how to deliver and inspect a placenta. She was also searching for out-of-hospital birth certificate instructions. At the beginning of October, Taylor is well past her due date by more than two weeks, and Wade takes off work under FMLA because Taylor tells Wade that she's going to be induced at Titus Regional Medical Center. On October 5th, Wade's house catches on fire, and it knocked out the electrical and plumbing in the house, so Taylor and Wade had to go to his mom's house to shower. Taylor was apparently set to be induced the very next day, but a bomb threat was called into the clinic that day, forcing her to reschedule. Connie looked at Taylor and said, yeah, you called it in. The bomb threat was true, and it was later linked to Taylor. 
But when Wade was taking a shower, Connie showed Taylor a Facebook post from Taylor's mom who had Taylor's kids in Colorado. She said, I see your mom has the kids and they're having a good time up in Colorado. But there was more to this statement than just the words. This was a message from Connie saying, I don't believe any of the shit you've claimed about your mom. I don't believe any of the shit that comes out of your mouth. It's alarming that you don't have custody of your kids, and I think you're nothing but a liar. Now, that's just what I assume she meant by saying that, but I think she'd probably agree. On the morning of October 8th, detectives testified that Taylor went to the area of her pregnant friend, Reagan Hancock's house, and sat outside for a significant period of time. That evening, she went to Reagan's house and actually spent time with Reagan. She even brought Reagan a little baby gift and some Starbucks, which Reagan thanked her for on Facebook. And with that, Taylor's victim was chosen. On the day of the murder, October 9th, at 3.30 a.m., Wade got up and got ready to haul his trailer full of hogs to that hog farm in Winniewood. Taylor was supposed to go with him, but bailed at the last minute because she said she was cramping and just wanted to stay home. Wade was under the impression that he was going to sell this trailer full of hogs to this dealer in Winniewood because that is what Taylor told him. She even had texts to prove it. So Wade went on his way, desperate to make money since they were drowning in debt. And after Wade left, Taylor started searching online for information on a 35-week delivery. Reagan was 35 weeks pregnant. At 6.35 a.m., she bought gas at a gas station near Reagan's house and texted her between 7.22 and 7.52 a.m. Meanwhile, Wade shows up at that property shortly after 7.30 that morning, and when the owner was confused about why he was there, Wade showed him the text messages that Taylor sent him that were allegedly between her and the owner but she had faked those texts, just like she faked all the texts from her mom, her aunt, her friends, her dad, her family friend Jace, her uncle Butch, her acquaintances at the bank. Every single person was fake. She sent Wade to this farmer under the false pretense of this hog sale so he would not be near the area when Taylor carried out her master plan. That morning, Taylor went to Reagan's house, and according to testimony from someone Taylor allegedly confided to in jail, Taylor said she went into Reagan's house and attacked her. She initially tried to use a knife to cut Reagan's baby out of her belly, but the knife wasn't working the way she wanted it to, so Taylor got a scalpel out of a medical kit she had in her purse. Once she got the baby out, she said she held her up to Reagan's cheek and told the baby, tell mama bye. According to testimony from the medical examiner and a crime scene restoration expert, Reagan was stabbed and beaten in four or five areas of the home before she eventually died in her own living room. All of this was while her three-year-old daughter was asleep in her room. She had extensive defensive wounds on her hands and arms, five skull fractures, a broken nose, and more than 100 stab wounds. 
the medical examiner testified that she was likely beaten with both ends of a claw hammer, as well as a mason jar of pink and blue sand from her own baby's legitimate gender reveal party. Then she was repeatedly stabbed, likely with the small scalpel found inside her neck during her autopsy. The coroner was unable to rule out that she'd also been strangled because her throat had also been cut. At some point, Taylor sliced her lower abdomen open from one hip to the other, removed her uterus, sliced it open, and removed both her child and the placenta. Taylor left the house at about 9.14, according to her cell phone records, and she took Reagan's phone with her. Reagan's phone has never been recovered. Reagan's husband, Homer, started getting strange messages from his wife's phone up until about 8.30 a.m., Then he started getting messages from a neighbor around 9.30 a.m. about their puppy being loose in their front yard. So Homer tried to call Reagan, but she didn't answer. So he called Reagan's mom, asking her to go check on Reagan. And then he left work to go check on her as well. At 10.15 a.m., Reagan's mom, Jessica Brooks, arrived at Reagan's to check on her. And when she walked in the door, she immediately called 911. In her 911 call, played for the jury, she's screaming, help me, my daughter's been murdered. There's blood everywhere. Oh, my babies. Oh, my God. She can be heard asking her own husband about Reagan's three-year-old daughter, Kinley, and then commenting on the quantity of blood. Homer arrived shortly after the police did. Shortly before Reagan was found, Taylor was pulled over for erratic driving in Idabel, Texas, around 9.30 a.m., with a newborn baby in distress on her lap and an umbilical cord protruding from her pants attached to a placenta, which eventually fell out of her pants as well. She had blood on her hands, face, legs, and feet. He and a passerby who stopped to help noted that there was no blood on the driver's seat of the car or on the baby, and much of the blood on Taylor seemed dry. Despite multiple requests to be taken to a hospital in Oklahoma, where she said her doctor practiced, she was taken to McCurtain County Memorial Hospital. She walked to the state trooper's vehicle. She was hunching over and waddling as if she was in pain from giving birth. And then at the hospital, medical personnel testified that an external exam to check for internal bleeding revealed Taylor did not have a uterus, and an internal exam revealed neither blood in her vaginal canal or the presence of a cervix, which is sometimes removed during a hysterectomy. A blood test showed she had no evidence of pregnancy hormones, but she was still insisting she delivered a baby. And then DNA tests would ultimately reveal that the child was Reagan Hancock's child. Reagan and Homer's baby, Braxlyn Sage Hancock, was small as she was forcibly removed from her mom's belly at only 34 weeks gestation. But doctors testified that she had been viable and she could have survived if she was in the right hands with appropriate care. However, She was reportedly deprived of oxygen for too long before getting to the hospital, and she suffered extensive brain damage as a result. She passed away at 1.22 p.m. that day. 
Around that time, local police were notified of a murder and a kidnapped baby. Hospital staff quickly determined and informed the state troopers that Taylor did not give birth to this baby, and they started to put it all together, and Taylor was arrested. Investigators from the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigations, or OSBI, arrived at the hospital to question Taylor, and when Wade arrived at the hospital, they put him in handcuffs right there in the hallway, but he had no idea why. His initial thought was because of this flopped hog sale and that maybe he was, I don't know, in trouble for breaking a law in this transaction. So when they told him why they were there, he told them he was supposed to be meeting Taylor at the hospital because she had called him and said she gave birth to the baby in the car and that she was supposed to be getting induced that day. He had no idea what was going on. During her initial interviews with police, Taylor's story was all over the place. I'm sure you can imagine. Initially, she said that she got into an altercation with Reagan and pushed her to the ground in the garage. She said Reagan was so injured from this altercation that Reagan asked Taylor to remove her baby from her right there on the spot to save the baby's life. So Taylor's story is that she's some sort of hero here. And when they asked about the cuts to Reagan's neck, Taylor insisted that she set the scalpel down before she left, implying that Reagan probably stabbed herself in the neck with a scalpel. Obviously, investigators were not buying it. And finally, after trying but failing to change her story a couple more times, Taylor finally confessed that she had faked her pregnancy and killed Reagan so that she could take her baby and claim it as her own. She was charged with capital murder for Reagan, murder for Braxlin, and kidnapping. Her bond was set at $5 million. Her trial lasted about two months, and it just took place this last fall. And on October 9th of 2022, just shy of two years since this heinous crime, a jury took only 90 minutes to find Taylor guilty of capital murder, murder, and kidnapping. One month later, the jury reconvened to sentence Taylor, and they chose the most appropriate penalty for someone of this level of evil. On November 9th of 2022, they sentenced her to the death penalty. When it was time for Reagan's family to read their impact statements, Reagan's mom, Jessica Brooks, addressed Taylor in person. She said, quote, My baby was alive, still fighting for her baby when you tore her open and ripped her baby from her stomach in front of her baby girl. You're an evil piece of flesh demon. You watched her die. You did not care about Braxlin either, spending so much time making sure you would not get caught. We all know you think this is about you. Reagan was one of the very few, very few people on this earth that cared about you. So every time you think to yourself, oh, poor me, nobody cares about me, know that that is the truth. She continued to say, I will continue to remind people, the world, how evil you are for the rest of your life, however short that may be. But only if I hear mention of your name, otherwise I will not speak of you. Only of my beautiful baby girl, Reagan, and grandbaby Braxlin, who were a light God will continue to use in this dark world. You took their breaths, but you did not 
get their beauty and light that will shine for years and years to come. None of Taylor's family showed up to her hearing. After Taylor was formally sentenced to death, the judge moved quickly to get her out of the courtroom saying, you can remove her and take her to death row now. And I can't think of a more appropriate ending to that story. And I can only hope that the process to put Taylor Parker to death is quick and swift. That is all for now. We'll see you next week on Mama Mystery. Thank you so much for listening. Mama Mystery out. Bye.